the explosive new film, Flynn, Deliver the Truth, Whatever the Cost, exposes secrets behind the government's takedown of General Michael Flynn. Flynn knew what the intel world had been up to. He ordered the first audit of the use of contractors. This set off alarm bells. He told the truth. He was the most dangerous person for Donald Trump to hire. They had to get rid of Flynn. Flynn, Deliver the Truth, Whatever the Cost. Available now. Watch it today. Go to SalemNow.com. SalemNow.com. Welcome in. Some microphone issues. My mic stand blew up on me. Let's see. That's a little bit better. How are you? Rob Black and your money. I'm Rob Black talking all things financial. Um, is all well for stocks or is all not well for stocks? You know, I think that's a question that we could ask on a regular basis. Is August going to be a good month, or is August going to be a bad month? August is historically not a good month in the last 20 years. It's the end of summer, kind of, we're trying to extend vacations, and uh, we just don't really care, (laughs) sometimes what it comes down to. So let's talk about some of the top stories out there today. Um, I think this is worthy of note. That Again, as an investor, you always want to be trying to be conscious of what's going on, when it's going on, why it's going on. It's just, it's good to know. Today's hump day. Markets move closer to the weekend. Last weekend wasn't a good weekend in the sense of a lot of geopolitical concerns started coming out. There's a little bit of that feel today. I saw one crazy headline that uh, in the Ukraine they've put landmines around the crash site to keep uh, investigators away. Like, come on, people. Can't we just close this chapter at some point in time in a humane way? So there could be some selling, right? Or maybe there should be some buying. Maybe at some point in time, the, you know, come on, people. Kind of gets we get past it. Um, not a lot of teeth in the last set of sanctions that were said to be a lot of sanctions against Russia, um, and that's why Russia's stock market's up. Twitter had a good earning report. We'll talk a little bit about that. Better than expected results from Amgen and WellPoint. Pleasing GDP report for the second quarter. Twitter's indicated a uh, big win today. And again, we had a call yesterday about, what are we going to get from Twitter? And no one knows on a day-by-day, short-term basis. But that stock IPO'd around 42. It went to 72. Then it dropped to 30, 29 and a half. And yesterday, or today, once it hit 30, it started making its move. But today it's up 7 to 45. So it's back to that IPO range. We'll talk about that because, you know, again... I know people want to think about it. Twitter demolished Wall Street's expectations, and last quarter, Twitter's quarter was awful. So they beat everything on revenue, earnings per share, monthly active users was probably the most important thing. If you remember yesterday, I was saying that's the one we're going to want to watch. A lot of people were quick to say this quarter's increase in users was all about the World Cup. Um, CEO Dick Costello said, no, not so much. He says new users are coming to Twitter because it's improving the onboarding process. Most important thing for users is that they get from point of signing up for Twitter to having a lively populated feed that delivers value for a new user. In the conference call, Twitter um, said monthly active users came from product changes, not from the World Cup. Um, what product changes you know, did you make to bring in new users was the big question. 
And the answer was, you know, over the last year we've talked about, you know, bringing new users on and how it was going to do. So the improved onboarding flows, the improved ability to get those users into experiences more quickly and deliver immediate value was the angle that he took. Uh, notifications when we have content that we think is particularly relevant to those users and some sort of uh, value. Again, interesting that the World Cup could be um, blamed for it. And the NFL and the Oscars, you know, sometimes people go, hey, I was, you know, what super worked um, for, you know, CBS quarter or something along those lines. You know, that's where they make all their money. They had a good playoffs this year kind of thing. Um, for the NHL, for instance, for ESPN or for NBC to usually make money on it, they, they needed some Game 7s. So on the call, they talked about messaging as part of the product that you'd like to expand. So you can send a text, an email, a Facebook message, a Snapchat, or a WhatsApp. So how do you differentiate on Twitter? And for him, for the CEO, he said, you know, being part of a public conversation and being able to migrate it to a private channel uh, is what differentiates them. So again, messaging is huge. Messaging is the thing that's working really, really well with mobile at this point in time. So uh, long story short, Twitter, good quarter. I'm going to get more details on it as the day goes on. I'm going to get more details in the next couple of days. So if you have questions, you can always call the show, 800-516-1220. It's 800-516-1220. GDP growth um, averaged approximately 1% over the first half of the year after the first quarter GDP had some contraction. So the stock market was bullish on this. We saw that second quarter GDP increased in January to 4%. That's way better than 3.2% that was expected. If we can get 4% every year, holy mackerel, it would be great. We're not going to. We're going to get somewhere typically between 2 and 4%. So 4% is on the high end. Um, again, this is a preliminary number, so we're going to see a little bit more of it in the coming days, weeks, months. So again, don't read too much into it, please. Advanced second quarter GDP is one of the big stories today. Twitter, big story. And uh, Amgen had a really solid quarter, so they're helping out uh, the markets overall today. When you take a look at the market numbers, it is skewed towards the NASDAQ with Twitter and with biotech stocks. Twitter obviously helping some of its brothers and sisters along, like Yelps and LinkedIn's and Facebook's. Um, so you get that angle out of it. Um, S&P 500 is up 2, the Dow is down 8, the NASDAQ up 20. The NASDAQ up one half of 1%. And like I said, it's biotech and social media stocks that are the big pools there. Apple's still playing with $100 a share. Uh, 98.70 it's, is its day's range. 52-week uh, range is 99.44, so it's, it's playing with it. Um, it's at 98.50 today, so buck fifty from 100 Buck fifty for a Hondo, but taking a look, and this is where I try to be as honest with you as I can. I own shares of Apple. Taking a look at it, it's starting to look a little pricey. It's trading at 17 times this year's earnings, trading at 14 times next year's earnings. Uh, which not that's not crazy, but it's starting to look like an old mature company, and that's okay. I'm I'm down with that. 800-516-1220. It's 800-516-1220 to get your calls in the air. Anything you want to talk about, we could talk about. Money, investing, and more. Um, I say count your blessings because it seems like every day there's something tragic that happens in the world. Drop me an email, rob at robblackshow.com. It's rob at robblackshow.com. 800-516-1220 to get your calls in the air. It's 800-516-1220.
Welcome in. Rob Black and your money. I'm Rob Black, talking all things financial, money, investing, and more. Anything you want to talk about, we can talk about. Um, only one in 12 small cars fare well in a crash test. That's one of the stories out there that I throw out there. The four-door Mini Cooper Countryman was the only one of 12 cars to earn a top rating of good in new frontal crash tests. Um, we are going with smaller, lighter cars as a nation, trying to get our gas mileage better. And again, this ties into money. How? Obviously, disabilities. I've got a family friend whose child, out of nowhere, um, had an issue tied towards his brain. And uh, it's been a grueling period of time that's very expensive and can drain a family's resources and assets. Car crash could do the same thing. So somewhere in life you have to go, okay, I'm going to be green and environmental. I'm going to teeter-totter that with, I hope someone doesn't hit my car. And if they do, how am I going to fare? It's a really odd concept to say out loud, but it certainly goes through my head. Not sure if it goes through your head, but it certainly goes through mine. Um, something I saw out there that, again, is counterintuitive, which I'm learning as I continue to talk money more and more and more, is sometimes that's the best way to become richer, is to learn how counterintuition works or how your intuition hurts. We all know the basics of a good credit score, right? Pay your bills on time. Don't max out your credit cards. Don't let too many lenders review your credit. Now, here's some lesser tricks that play into it. Keep old cards open. Ask for higher limits. A lot of consumers get starter credit cards when they turn 18. They've got pretty low credit limits, 1000 bucks, 2000 bucks. They have pretty high interest rates. And if you do well with a starter card, you should get offers for higher limit credit cards. Once you have those, it may seem silly to keep your old accounts open, but, this is a big but, it's typically in your best interest to keep those cards open and ask your creditors for higher limits on them. Your FICO score is the credit score most lenders use, and my FICO states that 15% of your credit score comes from the length of your credit history. Two important factors in this category are the age of your oldest account and the average age of all your accounts. So keeping your starter cards active, even if you don't use them, helps your score more and more as time goes on. So, for instance, when I was 18, when I was 16, I got credit, which, again, just appalls me that that's legal. I got a Tiffany's credit card. Uh, not Tiffany's. Kate Jewelers. Something like that. Trying to buy a girl for a bobble. And... Uh, I closed that account a few years ago because I was furious. Like, is that still there? Why is that there? And it had like a, I want to say like a $300 limit or something ridiculous. And I shouldn't have because it, it was in good standing and it was an old card. Old. Being in the, it made somebody like, when you're on Southwest, and they're like, if you get a Southwest credit card today, you get X amount of miles. I'm like, ooh, yes, please. Um, another way to get a better credit score and this is tricky, is sometimes you should borrow. 10% of your score is made up of your credit mix or the various types of accounts you have open. So even if you have a few credit cards with spotless records, your score could actually be hurt if those are the only accounts that you have open. Lenders want to see that you have a mix of revolving accounts, such as credit cards um, and installment accounts, like mortgages and car loans. If you're about to pay cash for a car or other large purchase, consider financing it for a few months. Um, so it's just so you can get some variety back on your credit card. And the final one that I want to throw out there is become an authorized user. I think this is important. Um, it's kind of a cheater's way to higher credit scores. Basically, you have someone like a parent who uses a high-limit credit card responsibly add you to an account as an authorized user. That purpose isn't to increase your access to credit. In fact, the account holder doesn't need to give you a card but every month that the account states your name is on it, it updates your credit report. It helps you in a couple ways. If the account has been open for a long time, it can help with that average length of your credit history or the age of your credit history. 
And second, the largest 35% of your credit score comes from your history of paying bills on time. So having a large credit limit relative to your outstanding debt can help your score tremendously as 30% of your score comes from credit use. I guess if I were to throw in one bonus one, it would be negotiate with your creditors. This applies if you're doing some damage control with negative items on your credit. If you don't have any charge-offs, collections, judgments, it's good for you. If you do, you may be a little surprised how much room you have to negotiate a better resolution. Uh, let's say you have a collection on your report to the amount of 1000 bucks. Three big possible outcomes. You can respond to a settlement offer by a collection agency. You propose to settle your account for less than the balance owed. I did this at one point in time in my life when I was out of college. Um, the problem with that is it shows that your credit report was settled. Um, so for me, I had $6,000 of credit card debt coming out of college. And it kind of ballooned to about 10000 And that's when it was out of control in my mind. And that's when I said, you know, hey, look, um, how about if I give you $6,000 cash? Will you settle it in full? And they said, yeah. And the problem was it was settled, and it was a damage. It was like kind of a, a kind of a foreclosure on your credit report. So what would have been better would have been like a paid in full designation versus a settled. Even if you're settling for less than the original amount, try to get it in writing. A lot of collectors are willing to do it, that it would be paid in full and not quote-unquote settled. It's sticky, but it's true. The best possible outcome is to have the collection removed from your credit report entirely as if it never happened. And to do that, you need to pay, you probably need to pay the balance in full, but it's definitely a possibility. Get any promises that a collection agency ever offers you in writing. Otherwise, don't move forward. And keep in mind, if you're trying to improve your credit, the best thing in the world is time. Time heals all wounds. Negative information matters less to your score as time goes on and eventually drops off completely. Positive information helps more as the months pass and years pass on. Best thing to boost a credit score is to know what makes up that credit score and take advantage of that knowledge every month when trying to fix it. If you do that, credit score will take care of itself. There's things along the lines, though, that you want to remember and be cautious on. Um, it's just, I don't know. I don't know how to say this, but uh, be patient. A lot of things don't happen in, in big, fast chunks. So one of the things that I wanted to throw out in kind of a fun way is uh, great investors. Yesterday I talked about a guy named Rothschild and how he became so great and how he used carrier pigeons to get information and how you should try to get information. This guy named Sir John Templeton, and I think he died like six years ago, but he lived a good life. He was... Um, I want to say almost 100 when he died. So he had a lot, of, a lot of time to get financial perspective. And one of the things that Sir John Templeton, his big wisdom was, buy at the point of maximum pessimism, sell at the point of maximum optimism. And right now I'm like, yeah, the stock market's five and a half years old, but it still probably has a year, year and a half left, maybe a little less depending on Janet Yellen. And like today the GDP numbers were so good that Janet Yellen's going to have to pay attention to those, right, and probably start raising interest rates sooner rather than later. So you get the idea where I'm going at with that. We're a little optimistic right now. I should be saying, you know what, these numbers are causing me to get a little bit nervous. It's too good. So one of his quotes was, if you buy the same securities everyone else is buying – you'll have the same results as everyone else. Now, I don't really care for that quote, because I don't. Templeton, a committed contrarian. Contrarian means like he goes opposite the crowds and he goes long-term. He believed the only way to get a bargain in the stock market was to buy when everyone else was selling. At the outbreak of World War II, when everyone else was panicking, he bought shares in every NYSE, New York Stock Exchange-listed company, that was trading for less than a dollar, and made money on nearly every one of them. He was early to see the benefits of diversifying outside of America. He was an international investor. 
It became a signature style over his career. His flagship, the Templeton Funds, if you would put $10,000 into his flagship in 1954, it grew to $2 million by the time he retired in 1992. So it took a couple years, but it certainly grew at better than market pace, right? $10,000 turns to $2 million. And again, I typically say that your investment career is 40 years. You work from age 20 to 60, and that's about 40 years. The Templeton Growth Fund continues to employ his strategies, and it's averaged 18.3% each year for the last five years. So, Sir John Templeton, we tip our hat to you. You can find me online at robblack.com. That's robblack.com. You can find me on Twitter, Rob Black Show. You can find me on YouTube, Rob Black Show. Um, I'd like to see you there. Don't be shy. 800-516-1220. It's 800-516-1220. I'm Rob Black. Welcome in, Rob Black and your money. I'm Rob Black, talking all things financial, money, investing, and more. 800-516-1220 to get your calls on the air. It's 800-516-1220. It's an interesting day because Twitter's kind of helping social media stocks, but the day is weakening as it goes on, maybe tied towards a positive GDP report, which means maybe the Fed's easy money may start going a different direction. S&P 500 down 1, the Dow down 52, the Nasdaq up 13. Joining me now, CFP Chad Burton, talk a little women in investing. The fairer sex, they say man created the world, but women refined it. Couldn't agree with that broad phrase, more if I tried. Women are the best things in life. But women face financial decisions that men necessarily don't. They have to approach marriage differently than a man does. The birth of a child. Let's talk birth of a child and what it does to a woman, because clearly they leave the workforce for a little while, changes their social security structure as a financial burden, as a tax benefit. Yay! Is the tax benefit worth having a kid, Chad? <laughs> no. You know, in fact, in, in some of the new tax laws in terms of who ends up paying the Medicare surcharge tax or the Obamacare, 3.8%, um, or the new capital gains rates, uh, f- when you're single, that kicks in at 400000 Right. Uh, or 200000 on the 3.8% for the Obamacare tax. Uh, for the 20% capital gains and dividend tax, that kicks in at 400000 single. But when you're married, it's four, it's 250 and 450 So it's actually a bit of a marriage penalty again to be married, especially if you're in a high-income earning situation. So basically the Obamacare taxes or the, the new tax laws that were passed assume that um, only one person was working <laughs> when when you get married and if you're a high income earner. So a little bit unfair. A tax credit for a child, about $1,000 per year. Well, and certain things get phased out too, Rob, for high income earners. So, Well, yeah, you and your high income earners. You and your There are some tax benefits for children. You have two tax advantaged options. FSAs, you're able to save money for health care savings, child care deductions. It's just, it's just not worth having children, though. Tax benefits aren't that groovy. No, you don't look at there's, unless, there's, unless you're a really you're not going to save the, money by having kids. Let the inner Republican come out, Chad. Unless you're a poor person in the inner city, having more <laughs> children is a good idea. Is that your inside inner Republican voice? Um, it's tied towards welfare. Okay, and you know, commentary on welfare. Uh, it is strange that you know some people believe having more children equals more tax deductions and government uh, subsidies, which is shocking and sad because that child doesn't get what he deserves. So 
Anyhow, um, women and money, we're talking about having children, and the tax credit's really not worth it, but they're out there for you. Uh, death of a spouse. I think that's an interesting one to talk about with women. Uh, my mom's outlived my dad by 20 years. He had a life insurance policy on her. He didn't have one on himself. He let his expire. Like, death. Of, he screwed her. He he thought he was going to outlive her because she was, she's heavier than him, and cancer got him. Yeah. So, Death of a spouse, big financial issue. Well, it is because, you know, especially if you have a, two Social Security checks, because even if one spouse didn't work, you have one Social Security check and the, the spouse gets somewhere between, you know, 35 and 50 percent of the spouse that worked their check. So they have two Social Security checks. And when one dies, the smaller check goes away, the larger check stays. So that's not that's a that's for a lot of the American population now where they get 50 to 60% of their income or more from Social Security, that's a huge decline in income. That means that, okay, they're going to probably have to go do a reverse mortgage. They're going to have to move. They're going to have to possibly live with their kids, something else like that. So, uh, yeah, people are retiring too young these days, Rob. And that's, that's, you, that's why we see our youth unemployment uh, rate continuing to rise because people are having to work longer. They didn't save enough. They didn't think about their future. They spent. They became consumers rather than savers. How about estate planning consequences with death of a spouse? Things like step-up in basis. Is there anything we need to know? Um, well, the, it, California, which is a community property state, um, what's nice is that if you own assets you know, the right way, um, everything gets a step-up in basis on the first spouse's death. So that means that rental property that you paid 100000 for that's worth $800,000 now, you could essentially sell it tax-free, um, the depreciation you'd have to recapture if we want to get technical about it. But but th- when there is a death of a spouse, at least there's a reduction in having to have taxes be a major decision with your taxable assets, your real estate, things like that. So that can come all into play because a lot of times when there's a death of a spouse, if there's a loss of a pension, a loss of a Social Security check, sometimes it means a reduction in la- standard of living. So you might have to sell that large home and downsize. Anything else that we need to know about with this topic? Um, well, when you do have somebody that is, you know, passing or, you know, terminal or somebody has passed, then, yeah, the, the delivery trust should be redone. Um, and again, this is change. an issue that I think it's a women-centric issue because men tend to marry a little bit younger and women tend to outlive men. So uh, my mom's been in retirement without a spouse for 20 years. It's a long time to make her own financial planning decisions. Anyhow, and anyway, that's CFP Chad Burton. You can find him at newfocusfinancial.com. It's newfocusfinancial.com. I'm Rob Black. Talking all things financial, Nintendo hit by sliding sales. They're posting a loss. Um, again, competition changes things. Nintendo could do no wrong in the 80s and 90s, but hasn't been the case so much to say in the 2000s. There's a McDonald's ruling, which could open the door for unionizing their employees. That'll be interesting to see if that develops in that direction, because that I think would be very damaging to the fast food industry, which, again, I don't partake in. So do I really care? Sure I do, because there's investments tied towards it. Netflix has agreed to pay AT&T more money to ensure smooth video downloads in the news today. Also, Facebook has given up on gifts. They're saying goodbye to those messages on Facebook asking you to send your friends a gift on their birthdays. Yay. That was annoying, right? GDP grew at a strong 4% rate in the spring quarter, bounced back from the weak winter quarter. Uh, the first quarter, so overall the GDP about up 1% for the year for the two periods. You can find me online at robblack.com. It's robblack.com. Got two events coming up, one for creating wealth and one for managing it. You can check out the details of the events at robblack.com. That's robblack.com. The views and opinions expressed by Rob Black and his guests are not necessarily those of the Wall Street Business Network, this station, its management, owners, or advertisers, and should not be construed as legal, tax, or investment advice. Always consult with the appropriate advisor before making any investment or financial planning decision. Insightful. Informative. Irreverent. We're ready. The Wall Street Business Network presents Rob Black and Your Money, your source for breaking news, market updates, and successful investment strategies for the 21st century. Sounds like a great program. Getting you to retirement in today's market. So let's get on with the show. Taxes, family finances, insurance, the economy, technology, media, and entertainment. Rob is talking about it with you at 800 516 
1220. So call in, we'll chat, and uh, have some fun. Now, to start your day with the latest news and market commentary, here's Rob Black on the Wall Street Business Network. Welcome in, Rob Black and your money. I'm Rob Black, talking all things financial money, investing, and more. 800-516-1220. It's 800-516-1220 to get your calls on the air. Anything you want to talk about, we can talk about money, investing, and more. Let's talk about some of the things out there to make you a better investor. And again, trying to give you the stories that... Uh, make into digestible nuggets that you're always thinking about money. If you take a look at some of the top products in the world, some of the top best-selling items, you could learn a little bit. Scale of global consumption is probably the number one thing. It's staggering when it comes to the source of brands like Coca-Cola and iPads. The absurdly addictive game like Angry Birds has been downloaded 2 billion times. Now you're saying, oh, that doesn't mean anything to me. That's 30% of the world's population. Now again, it hasn't been downloaded by 30% of the population, but it's been downloaded that many times, showing you again an amazingly powerful brand. Finances online, um, you know, looking at this kind of data, uh, incredible sales. Coca-Cola serves 1.8 billion servings of Coca-Cola a day. Stop and think about that for a second, okay? Planet of 7 billion people. 1.8 billion servings a day. That's like 2 out of 8 people in the world drinking a Coke every day. It's water, it's sugar, it's fructose, corn syrup. It's got some dye. They make a lot of money. Whether you like it or not, they make a lot of money. Now, again, more of the world's cutting down on drinking Coke, and they're going to water and teas. But 1.8 billion servings a day, two out of eight people. Should you own shares of Coca-Cola? I think so. Consult a broker advisor for taking action on any stocks mentioned. Know that this shows for informational purposes only, but I think you can make a case. Lay's potato chips. 633 million bags are sold a year. Now, again, look at the world population. And you're like, yeah, okay, so that's not quite as dominant as Coke, right? Um, but that's heavier than the weight of an aircraft carrier. And you pick up a bag of chips, and you're like, hey, this is pretty light. So they sell basically the equivalent of an aircraft carrier in weight. <laughs> now I know why my thighs are so large, right? Hey, 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 don't agree with me. PlayStation. 344 million consoles sold since 1995. That's like two Golden Gate bridges if the weight of all the consoles are totaled, times two. So, again, that's a lot of mass. But not as good of an angle. Um, Toyota, the Corolla, the number one vehicle in the world. 40.7 million cars sold since 1966. That's like driving from New York City to L.A. back and forth 48 times if you put the Corolla's bumper to bumper. Starts to give you some perspective. 48 times. And you don't even have to turn them on. You just put them back and forth. Um, the iPad. 211 million tablets sold since 2010. That's like circling the earth once if all the iPads are put end to end by their height. And again, you, look at this earth. It's pretty big. So you go with the shorter part, not the height, but the width. Stack them straight up to the sky, and you can circle the Earth with how many iPads have been sold since 2010. 211, tab 210, 211 million tablets. Michael Jackson's Thriller. It sold 70 million albums since 1982. Um, that's 15 times the sale of One Direction's first album. And I don't know if that says anything about our society in any way, shape, or form. 
um, I don't know, just the whole homogenous angle of that story. Now, let's go back to the iPad real quick, because I kind of brought that up, right? There's an angle out there that the iPad is starting to get into a little bit of trouble. Some people believe it, some people don't. I think in Fortune 500 terms, it's not getting into any trouble at all. But that doesn't mean it's not getting into trouble. Um, Best Buy came out and recently said that um, things are changing. So the Best Buy CEO has come out and said that he sees notebooks starting to sell really, really well. And laptops starting to sell really, really well. Why is that important? He says it's at the hands of uh, the tablets. And that, you know, consumer-wise, is pretty interesting. So his name's Hubert Jolie. He said tablet sales were crashing and PC business was seeing a revival. U.S. smartphone market's grown more mature. We all know that. Um, I think they're lasting a little bit longer. I think people are not upgrading as fast. I don't feel the power of the upgrade. But again, I'm not a power user. So the CEO attributed the PC revival during the first quarter partly due to Microsoft stopping support for the older Windows XP. Tablets boomed and they're now crashing. The volumes have really gone down in the last several months. Uh, I'm not a big tablet guy. I'll be quite honest. It's okay. Like To me, it's not a full experience. Laptop is something of a revival because it's a lot more versatile, he says. Uh, the CEO said they've removed layers of management. They're eliminating hundreds of jobs, closed unprofitable stores at Best Buy, boosted cash reserves and efforts to stem sales declines since joining uh, the company back in the fall of 2012. Best Buy is one of those companies, and, you know, speaking with one of the owners of Fry's, and, uh, you know, Fry's is opening up stores in Texas. I'm like, how? Like, doesn't it seem like the day of big retail is over? And it's, uh, we make all our money on components. I'm like, components? And he's like, yeah, the do-it-yourselfers who want to build computers. Um, and I, if you've ever been into a Fry's, it's what's wrong with retail, in my opinion. They're huge. They're massive. They're big cathedrals of, of a lot of junk. Oh, you want Angry Birds candy? Sure, go there. I, I guess someone wants Angry Birds candy. Uh, you want uh, a sneaker that, uh, a RoboCop sneaker? <laughs> You're like, no. Well, if you did, that's where you'd go. Because they've got an odd eclectic collection of garbage around their PC components. PC components are great. Uh, and in this world, how are they competing with Newegg? If they're not, if they're not competing with Newegg, aren't they competing with Best Buy? Uh, but then Best Buy has the same problem. It's this big department store that no one really likes anymore. We used to like going to big department stores and like, you know, walking around. Now we're like, too much work. Give me a scooter. <laughs> People that are so lazy they have to use scooters. 800-516-1220 to get your calls on the air. I'm Rob Black talking all things financial money, investing, and more. You can find me online at robblack.com. You can email me, rob at robblackshow.com. You can call the show, 800-516-1220. You're listening to AM 1220, KDOW. I'm Rob Black. Big events coming up a couple of Saturdays from now. Um, sometimes I do them on Thursday. Sometimes I do them on Saturday. Saturdays means I'm doing a Money 101, all things financial, how to create wealth. Also doing an event on retirement planning, mistakes made in retirement, how to set up income in retirement. You can sign up for the events. They're on the peninsula. Sign up at robblack.com. That's robblack.com. Forest or talking trees They used to sing about the birds and the bees The bees had declared a war The sky wasn't big enough for them all The birds, they got help 
Welcome in, Rob Black and your money. I'm Rob Black, talking all things financial, money, invested, and more. S&P 500 is down 2, the Dow down 61, the NASDAQ up 11. CFP, Chad Burton, New Focus Financial, newfocusfinancial.com. If you want to drop him an email so that we read it on the air, chad at newfocusfinancial.com. Let's talk retirement portfolio construction. As a child, I loved construction. Building things up, tearing them down. What do we need to know about our portfolio construction in our golden years? Uh, well, you, you really have to start dealing with the retirement portfolio construction about 10 years in advance. Okay. Because what you don't want to have to do is say, oh, I'm retired. I'm now going to shift out of stock, sell all my stocks, and go bonds and cash. And by the way, it's 2009 or it's 2001. So really what it becomes is try to accumulate all the equities in the beginning and dollar cost average into that. Be aggressive in your 20s, 30s, and even 40s. And then that way you can slowly accumulate the bonds and the the cash side of the portfolio later on so your stocks sit there and continue to reinvest the dividends, compound, and accumulate. So then you end up with three years' worth of expenses and safe money and then the rest in a nice balanced portfolio. So that's kind of the one of the main pillars of, of what the, the start is. Because if you have that expenses in cash, the three years worth of portfolio draws in cash, you can weather a bad market even if you start your retirement in a bad market. You're going to be okay. If we were having some day beverages, do a little day drinking, could I get you to say no bonds for portfolio under 50 and just accumulate these later? Well, yeah, especially on a you know, uh, period of rising interest rates. Yeah. However, there's some attractive areas of high yield and emerging market debt that, you know, have a nice 6 7% return. And really, we need to see revenue growth out of companies. Otherwise, we, we won't get that grand rotation from bonds to stocks. We need to see revenue growth, not we, just central bank involvement. And we need to see it soon because there's so many good things happening, monetary policy, economic policy, yep. and we're not getting that revenue growth yet. And if we don't get it soon... There is an economist that I was recently reading that said, we'll never get it. Well, that's why you, you get these people that are out there saying, don't buy bonds at all. But you, you still don't have just the, the pure revenue growth. We've got the bottom line growth that says exit those areas and create that grand rotation. And it's a global world. So you also have to have you know about 20% of your bond portfolio in international bonds as well. So there's always opportunities out there somewhere. Now, international bonds are different than emerging market bonds, right? Not necessarily. You want a good, flexible global manager. Okay. Um, that can do some emerging market debt. You know, there's there's emerging markets that have better balance sheets than we do. They don't have all the debt that the U.S. does. But there's currency issues you have to deal with. So the manager has to be good with bonds and with currencies and be able to hedge that. Okay, I think I'm on to all this. What else do we need to know as far as portfolio construction? And maybe some deconstruction. When do you start selling some, if it's like overpriced, not overpriced, but if it's had a big move, do you deconstruct your retirement portfolio and and construct some of the, the unpopular areas? Well, yeah, I mean, the, the easiest way to do it is you have your cash. You've calculated very carefully your your annual portfolio draw. At the end of each quarter, you know you're spending your cash. And at the end of each quarter, if you have a positive quarter, if you've spent $20,000 of cash and you got $40,000 of gains in your portfolio, sell 20 of that gains. Yes, that means you pay taxes. Replenish the cash. Pull the winnings off the table. It's as simple as that. It's it's really a, a monitoring situation. Um, if you have a negative market quarter, you just rebalance inside the portfolio. The income that we get from Social Security, and again, you and I have this argument that it may not even be available to you and I, but let's say mom's getting $20,000 a year of income. Do we look at that as like $400,000 of no. securities? No, a lot of people ask that, or they say, is my pension make up for my bond allocation? Okay. It really doesn't. The way the calculation works is that, let's say you calculate your taxes, health care costs, and everything else, and that number is you know, 150000 and you're getting 30 from Social Security and 20 from a pension. That means you've, of your 150000 50000 is covered by, by guaranteed income sources. Any chance? So there's 100000 left over that you're going to have to draw from your portfolio, so you need three years' worth of that. So pension, Social Security, dependable rental income reduces the amount of cash you should have on hand. It doesn't reduce the amount of bonds necessarily. Any chance you and I get to retirement in 10, 20, 30, 40 years and everything you said is just crap and you have to change it? Well, we've had to change things anyways because the 4% draw rate rules were created in the 90s when bonds were paying 6%. So we've had to go into bond alternatives. Um, and and other assets to help maintain 
Because the only way you get more than that is you take more risk. Well, if you're taking more risk, you need to have a backup guarantee um, that says, well, if things fall apart, you're still going to get income from the age of 80 on. So you have to look at bond alternatives today to, to maintain the, the same 4 to 5% draw rate that people could start when they were in, their, in the 1990s. Anything at your website that you want to plug, anything you want to push? Um, yeah, I mean, in terms of the construction and, and even the deconstruction, the rebalancing process, you can watch a webinar at newfocusfinancial.com. It's newfocusfinancial.com. That's Chad Burton. You can email him, chad, at newfocusfinancial.com. I'm Rob Black, talking all things financial, money, investing, and more. And I'm Rob Black, talking all things financial. Like I said, you can find me online, robblack.com. Rob at robblackshow.com is my email. Oddly, robblackshow.com isn't really there, but I own it. I just changed my business email over to that, per se. You can find me online at 800-516-1228. It's 800-516-1228. calls on the air. A um, couple stories out there today. Twitter growth concerns are assuaged for now. They halted a slowdown in user growth in the second quarter with the help of product tweaks and services built around the summer's World Cup. Shares of the company soared as much as 35%, but in the end, not that much. Private businesses created 218,000 jobs in July. Not a good number, kind of a weak number. Fell short of expectations. Um, so people are going to tinker with their Friday, uh, a couple days from now, it's going to be an employment report. That's a big one. After a dismal winter, the economy spring back to life in April, June, growing on the strength of higher consumer and business spending. 4% GDP growth, pretty darn good. Facebook has given up on gifts. They're saying goodbye to those messages on Facebook, asking to send your friends a gift on their birthdays. Thank you. A year ago, they killed off part of the gift services that allowed users to order physical presents through their social network. Now it's shutting down the remaining part of that gift business, which allowed you to send digital cards. Um, I don't know. Who did that? I guess some moms, maybe. Netflix has agreed to pay AT&T to ensure smooth video downloads. Yay! Video streaming service Netflix has agreed to pay. Again, this makes it tougher for competitors to compete with Netflix. Think about it for a second. Just think about it for a second. Do they do that for their own good, or do they do it to stop competition? I'm Rob Black, talking all things financial. Find me online, robblack.com. I know what you're trying to say, baby. You're trying to say, oh, yeah, it's business time. Welcome in. Rob Black and your money. I'm Rob Black talking all things financial money invested in more. Big story of the day has to be the GDP numbers. With that said, let's bring in Dr. Jeff Rosen, chief economist, briefing.com. Am I right? Is that the big one or is it the, the payrolls? Well, I mean, it's nice to see GDP come in better than expected, but if we're looking for forward-looking indicators, the payroll number that comes out on Friday is a much more apt look at economic growth than what we saw today. Okay. So let's talk about what we saw today, and then we'll talk about Friday a little later in the segment. Sure. 4% 4 GDP growth, was that just some pent-up demand from the first quarter being so cold and wintry? I mean, a lot of it was the restocking of inventories after uh, a nice pullback in, in Q1. And, and you can possibly blame that on the weather. I don't know how. I mean, you could say that, uh, you know, manufacturers and, and wholesalers, you know, and retailers, you know, all of them were unable to receive goods during weather-induced delays. But reality is that you tend to have ups and downs in inventories, so a fall in one quarter 
is typically made up in the next, and, and overall inventory growth is pretty flat, and overall contribution to GDP is zero. So I, I wouldn't look at it like that weather was probably the main factor. It's more likely that we just had a restocking of, of normal movements. Okay. Um, in the end, second quarter GDP is, it's already, we're already in the third quarter. Is that something, is that the reason that you're not putting a lot of value in it? Yeah, I mean, it's difficult to get trends specifically from one quarter of data, especially when you had such a weird number that came out in Q1. If you looked at the second half of last year, we had real final sales uh, up over 3% each quarter in, in Q3 and in Q4. And so far in, in 2014, we've had real final sales down 1% in uh, Q1 and then up you know, a modest 2%, uh, right around 2% in Q2. To me, that shows that we're not seeing uh, a nice acceleration in economic activity. If you're comparing everything uh, to last year, especially if we were thinking about how the economy was going to perform in 2014, at the end of 2013, everyone was looking at these numbers saying, this is the, you know, the proof of acceleration. Look, we have this nice, solid trend for two quarters. It's going to last into 2014. That wasn't the case. You had a severe pullback. And even though we had a rebound in Q2, you're still below trend on what you were uh, in the second half of last year. And if we think that this quarter was due to pent-up demand from weather-related instances in the first quarter, you would have hoped for a real final sales number closer to 4% so that the average of the two quarters would have been, you know, two and a half, two percent, which is still lower than we saw in 2014, but you know, nowhere near what we actually have, which is you know about a one percent growth over the first quarter. Let's talk about the jobs numbers that are coming out on Friday. If they continue to go in the direction of adding jobs, uh, does that mean Janet Yellen's going to be forced to change what she's doing with stimulus, or the two don't go hand to hand? Well, it does and it doesn't. The jobs number that comes out on Friday is not going to change Fed's outlook unless we have a plus 500,000 reading and all of a sudden it translates into huge income growth and huge spending growth, which is unlikely to happen given what we've seen in earnings reports. And from reality is that the job number that we get on Friday is can probably give us more of the same and just give us an idea of you know, what our actual trend is. Are we closer to 300,000 a month or are we closer to 200,000 a month? I think that uh, uh, the initial claims numbers are pointing towards a 300,000 uh, type gain uh, on Friday, which would be, you know, really, really nice. And it would suggest that uh, the gains that we saw in, in June were uh, sustainable. Um, but we'll, we'll have to see. But overall, it, it's leading to show that uh, the economy is pulling itself up and, and it's gaining some traction. That sounds good. Now, as the economy picks itself up and gains some traction, how about inflation? What are we seeing there? Is there any relevant uh, information to discuss? Yeah, I mean, you're hearing a lot of jibber-jabber about inflation, you know, especially since the PC numbers are, are or sorry, the CPI numbers were closing in on uh, 2% on the year-over-year -year on the core data. And you got to remember that the CPI is not what the Fed is targeting. The Fed is targeting the PCE numbers that come out of the BEA's GDP data. And that number is generally about a half a point uh, below what the CPI runs. So if you're going to think of a target for CPI, you want to think of a target about 2.5%, not 2 So we're still running below what the Fed thinks uh, normal inflation levels should be. So I, I'm not too concerned. Uh, and if you look at income growth, it's still weak. I mean, and soft income growth will not allow for strong overall inflation gains. So unless we start seeing a pickup in income and we start seeing that either through more jobs, which you know helps aggregate income, or higher wages, or you know even better the combination of the two, uh, inflation growth is going to remain tame, and I, and I don't see it changing over the next you know 12 months. Anything else that you're working on right now, Dr. Jeff Rosen, that you find material information that might give us some insight into something you're going to publish or something for us to look at? 
Yeah, I'm just trying to figure out where the employment sector actually is in terms of uh, are we nearing full employment or are we have a long way to go? And you heard this morning on um, CNBC uh, from uh, Mark Zandi of Economy.com from Moody's, um, he was saying that uh, based on job growth, he expects to hit full employment in 2016. And his quote was actually, you know, that we're going to hit full employment uh, on the election date of 2016. If that's true, then there's certainly slack in the economy, which means that wage growth is not going to pick up much until we get closer towards full employment, which means you could have another year or so of slow wage growth. However, if you look at um, a report that I released um, last week, I believe, we were talking about how you know there are a lot of job openings and companies are having difficulty time filling them. And that suggests that there's a structural disconnect in the labor force, meaning that we're actually closer to full employment today than we are uh, you know, according to Zandi. And if that's true, then we should see wage gains, to, you know, over the next few months uh, compared to soft growth. And we should, we should see something, you know, much more substantial. Uh, but it also means less job growth because there's just not enough workers that could fill the jobs that are needed. So it really, you know, which one of, that, which one of those theories is correct? Uh, you know, are, are we moving towards slow wage growth, high payroll growth, or are we working towards low payroll growth, high wage growth? And, and that's going to be an interesting uh, you know, conflict over the next several quarters. Are there any books that you think the average consumer or the average uh, listener can consume, you know, Thomas Friedman books, kind of where we start learning about economics and why it's so important to study in the role of investing? Um, you know, I, I tend to read, you know, if I'm thinking of, you know, economic books, uh, just the typical ones that you could think of, like, uh, I think Piketty's book was really good, uh, that came about, about, um, inequality. Um, the Freakonomic books I enjoyed, and those are, those are kind of old. Uh, I like the Michael Lewis books about, um, in the stock market and, and you know markets in general, I think he does a good job. But in terms of specific econ, you know, it's kind of a dull subject. So <laughs> if you want to get an idea of what's going on, read the economic blogs that come out because there's a lot more conflict among conservative and liberal uh, viewpoints, and they get released daily. So there's not you know a lag time, and you can get opposing viewpoints pretty quickly. And a lot of the big bloggers will respond to attacks on them. So, you know, like Paul Krugman will respond when he gets attacked, and you'll get, you know, similar out of um, Greg Mankiw from Harvard. You know, and, and that's really interesting. It gets you an idea of what the academics are thinking. And, and most of it's written for a way that you don't have to be, you know, an economist to understand what they're talking about. And they generally, you know, because their whole goal is to get viewership. So they're, they're writing it down in, in layman's terms, which is nice. That is nice. Um, speaking of which, what do you think about the like the Paul Krugman's of the world, where he kind of gets viciously attacked on CNBC whenever he comes out, and or he is you know off, he's loved, beloved. Um, is that kind of a sign of the times that you know CNBC will make a star out of economists? Well, you know, it's TV. You know, Paul Krugman is selling an image. You know, that's the reason why he got a huge new contract to go work in the new school in, in uh, New York. It's why, you know, he's got a New York Times um, page. You know, he's the liberal person that you would expect to see on a, you know, on an MSNBC, you know, type program. And he relishes in that. So if you read his stuff, he has no problem with name calling. Now, when I try to have a discussion, and if I disagree with you, I try not to call people out by names. You know, I, I find it kind of disrespectful, and I think it, it goes against your meeting. But uh, but Paul is not like that. I mean, if you read his stuff, you know, he'll call you a crank, he'll call you a moron, he'll call you, you know, you know, a million things because that's what gets his viewership. Thanks very much. It's Dr. Jeff Rosen with an opinion on economic blogs and uh, the writers behind them. You can find Dr. Jeff Rosen at briefing.com. It's briefing.com. I highly endorse. His stuff is digestible. 
and gives very excellent insight and perspective into what's working and not working in our economy. Thanks for a fun show. I'm Rob Black, talking all things financial, money, investing, and more. What's on your financial mind? Let me know. Anything you want to talk about, we could talk about. Um, clearly, there's a lot of stress in the world right now tied towards Israel. Israel artillery hitting schools, UN says. Um, Israel artillery hit a United Nations school sheltering more than 3,000 Palestinians in the Gaza Strip. At least 15 were reported killed. Uh, a lot of stress going on. And that's going to hit on the market. Today's Wednesday. As we move towards Friday, we get, you know, uh, what's going to go on in the world. Um, I don't know if this makes any sense to you, but the weekends kind of stoke the fires as Republicans and liberals yell at each other. And they all try to position themselves for the voters coming out in 20, um, later this year. So, big elections in 2016 as well. Uh, Argentina, their bonds are surging on hopes of a last-ditch deal. Twitter results silence the naysayers. Barclays in the United States, a lot of pressure. Uh, Barclays swung to a net profit in the second quarter, but is under renewed pressure in the United States after authorities extended a non-prosecution agreement to cover a probe into alleged foreign exchange manipulation. Other stories out there, McDonald's got an ominous ruling. When I say ominous, it's uh, whether or not they could be treated as a joint employer. McDonald's Corporation versus the franchisees. A lot of times on this air, I'll say, you know, hey, I understand you want a livable wage, but franchisees really can't afford it. Uh, because I know franchisees, and they are not making tons of money, like McDonald's Corporation is. So a National Labor Relations Board legal determination uh, could have some implications. McDonald's vowed to fight the decision, which business and labor groups both said could set a precedent for restaurants and retailers that rely on franchising. There's no legal or factual basis for such a fighting, and we'll argue it vigorously, so says McDonald's lawyers. Allowing companies to be treated as joint employers with their franchisees could crimp their ability to claim that they aren't responsible for labor actions of those franchise partners. And the labor board basically went through a lot of cases and said, you know, a lot of people were fired illegally. So this whole move comes as some restaurant companies have stepped up their reliance on franchising in recent years, in part to reduce the labor costs and complexities that come with direct ownership of outlets. 90%, I believe, of McDonald's employee, 90% of McDonald's restaurants are owned by uh, franchisees. So it's going to be interesting. It could be a game changer if it sticks. Uh, most of the incident reaction that I saw was that it's, it probably can't stick. But again, I'm not a legal expert, nor do I play one on television. CEO of Best Buy says tablet sales are crashing, laptops are going up, and cell phones are starting to mature. Just file that one away. Put it in your head. Uh, Radio Shack's running out of cash. That can't be a good thing. Credit ratings agency said, although the struggling electronics chain should have enough liquidity to make it through the year, it'll probably run out of money by the third quarter of 2015, barring some sort of cash infusion. Uh, Do we need it? I need a headlamp for my car. Headlamp went out. I'm like thinking, do I actually go to car shop, you know, a shop for it, you know, Manny Moe's and whatever, you know, auto retailer kind of thing that I can come up with, or do I just get it online and wait a couple of days and 
try not to drive at night or in the super morning, which, oh, that's the problem. I drive super early. So iPhone-ready apps now are starting to uh, be installed. This is kind of interesting. Um, as teens grow in the number of people using smartphones, GPS technology, they're getting a little easier to keep tabs on. And what's to note about that is kids are, parents are putting like Life360 or Glimpse or Zomob and other location monitoring software. They've seen downloads jump out 50%. So moms and dads are putting it on their kids' phones. Um, Apple's got one feature called Find My Friends. Pretty similar, right? Location, location, location. About 25 million people in North America use location services daily. Number could double to 50 million by the end of 2018. Big prize is to own the family network, of course. Families are the last real world network that haven't gone online yet as a group. Part of the growth is being fueled by parents holding down their phones and uh, cheaper prices for smartphones or handing down their old phones and doing the uh, swap out, making them more available for kids. Average selling price on a smartphone is expected to decline from $260 in 20. Uh, today, all the way, uh, it's going to be $260 in 2018, down from $308 today. That's not good news for Apple. Um, so Glimpse has recently pulled in $12 million from Verizon Ventures and Ignition Partners. Uh, security company ADT, they've got a round of financing, um, $50 million for their life 360. So more and more networking, more and more smart networks, more and more uh, the Internet of Things. So you're going to hear it again and again and again, and this is just one example. You can find me online at robblack.com. It's robblack.com. You can find me on Twitter, Rob Black Show. And Twitter had good numbers last night. You can find me on YouTube, Rob Black Show, as well. I do put up a podcast of this show at all of those resources, at all of those locations, um, including Facebook. My Facebook page is Cron4Rob Black. That's K-R-O-N-4 Rob Black. Um, I hope to see you there soon. Got a big event coming up. Uh, you can find out more about it. I'm going to be doing an event on Money 101. Chad's going to be doing an event on wealth preservation, retirement planning issues, as well as income and retirement. Uh, big events coming up uh, in August, a couple weeks from now. Uh, freedom, financial freedom is what it's all about. You can sign up at robblack.com. It's robblack.com. It's in San Rafael. Views and opinions expressed by Rob Black and his guests are not necessarily those of the Wall Street Business Network, this station, its management, owners, or advertisers, and should not be construed as legal, tax, or investment advice. Always consult with the appropriate advisor before making any investment or financial planning decision. Three-star general Michael J. Flynn, head of the Pentagon Intelligence Agency, knew all the government's dirty secrets. He was one of the most respected generals in the military. Flynn knew what the intel world had been up to. He understood its funding. He ordered the first audit of the use of contractors. This set off alarm bells. The explosive new documentary, Flynn, deliver the truth, whatever the cost, and covers the facts behind this scandal. Flynn told the truth. He was the most dangerous person for Donald Trump to hire. I find out the worst enemy that I'm going to face in my life is right here in America. They took my assessment and they wanted me to change it. I was like, I'm not changing it. They had to get rid of Flynn. With in-depth interviews, archival footage, and never-before-seen personal record to the man behind the headlines. I just felt like I was drowning. Flynn. Deliver the truth, whatever the cost. Available now. Watch it today. Go to salemnow.com. salemnow.com.